Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicles Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Moira O'Neill and joining me in the studio today are my colleagues Leonora Walters and Kate Bealey. In today's show, we're going to look at how investors can use market falls to cut their tax bill. We'll also look at how a young investor is aiming for an early retirement by investing in actively managed funds. We're going to examine research that claims the outperformance of UK equity funds may not be due to fund managers' stock picking skills. And I'm going to give you a brief update on changes to the Investors Chronicles top 100 funds. But first, we're delighted to welcome um, special guests, uh, Christopher Aldous, Managing Director of Charles Stanley Pan Asset, who joined us on the phone, and David Liddle, uh, the founder of Ipso Facto Investor, who is here in the studio with us. And they're both going to be talking about their exchange-traded funds portfolios that are featured in this week's magazine. Now, in April, um, with, that, with their help, we launched two model exchange-traded funds portfolios for capital growth. Um, so that's investing for the, for the long term to build a, a substantial fund. And um, they were put together for us by Christopher and David. So let's talk first about the investment ethos of um, these portfolios. What were you aiming for um, when you put them together? Um, Christopher, can I, can I start with you first, please? Um, could you give us a flavour of your portfolio? Yes, good morning, Maura. Um, absolutely. The portfolio aims for medium-term growth. That means over the next three or five year, three to five years, it's just above a medium level of risk, which I think is probably suitable for many investors, what we call moderate growth. Um, so you'd expect to get reasonable growth over time, but some volatility. So you should expect maybe falls of, in the worst, worst sort of markets, up to 20%. These are not falls you'd obviously, these are not losses you'd take, but just movements in the portfolio. Um, strategically, it's positioned to give a broad global exposure, um, so you're not too exposed to any one region, but tactically, i.e. in the shorter term, we're trying to focus on the areas with better earnings growth and support from central bank stimulus like the, the QE programs, quantitative easing programs in, in Japan and, and Europe and, um, uh, well, those two areas. Uh, now, David, um, can you tell us a bit about your portfolio, please? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, Well, we started by thinking about the bands of asset allocation that might be appropriate for a long-term UK investor looking for capital growth. So very big picture, we said the portfolio can have between 50% and 100% in equities. Ultimately, growth comes from equities, with consequently the residual of 0-50% in other assets, which we have taken to be cash, bonds and alternatives or hedge funds. Our aim was to produce a simple, low-maintenance portfolio, with very few holdings, which were easy to buy and sell on the main retail online trading platforms. We would decide on the equity weighting based on our own asset allocation methodology. So the portfolio was to be based around a core UK holding of the all share, 30% of the portfolio. And then we would decide, looking at the relative value of UK equities versus the rest of the world, how much should be invested internationally. We actually liked UK equities, hence our original allocation of 55% in total here, and particularly the FTSE 100, which looked cheap and looks even cheaper now. But we have been open to using uh, the FTSE 250 and smaller cap indices for this allocation if they had looked more attractive. So it is core all share and then either large cap, mid cap or small cap 
or nothing if UK equities look expensive. Now, now, obviously, I mean, we've had we've had four months of these portfolios up and running, and over the summer we've had had a big market crash. Um, Kate, um, you you've, you're the writer who's been who's actually been following in these portfolios and writing them up. I'll, I'll defer to you because I know you've got some specific questions to ask Christopher and David. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I obviously started by looking at the performance, and it is a in many ways slightly unfortunate time to be <laughs> looking at this as the the dates that we looked between twenty um, second of April and second of September kind of takes us from peak of Chinese market to to trough. So everything has fallen. I mean, this has been a crash that's that's affected most markets. Um, so Christopher's portfolio has has fallen by just over eight percent, and David's portfolio has fallen by a bit over ten percent. Um, so the worst hit areas have been China and emerging markets. And Christopher, your worst performing funds were definitely in. Asian and Chinese ETFs, weren't they? Um, I mean, I'm assuming that's what you expected. What was your kind of thinking around what you would do there? Because you've held on to them, haven't you? Uh, absolutely. And we discussed this, uh, or you and I, Kate, discussed this at the, the, the outset, that um, they are volatile markets. Are they really suitable for most investors? And I think that um, it's a matter of taste, but you shouldn't be too put out by um, short-term volatility in those high-growth regions. As we we know, the China mar- Chinese market is actually still 60% or so higher than it was a year ago. The, the mainland China market, where there's some small exposure in the portfolio, and and these really are um, five-year holdings rather than three to five-year holdings. I, I'm still very confident, based on the the valuation, the growth rate, all the things that are happening in China, and particularly the stimulus which the Chinese government is undertaking to to ensure that the economy doesn't have a hard landing. You know, I'm, I'm pretty confident all these things will, over time, drive up the value of what are already very attractively priced Chinese equity investments. Mm, interesting. And uh, David, you also held on to your emerging markets ETF, didn't you, which which has performed very badly over over this four month period. Um, why was that? Uh, well, I, I I kind of agree with Christopher, uh, but for long term capital growth, uh, having some exposure to emerging markets is is pretty much essential. I mean, I like the comment from Rio Tinto recently. Admittedly, they may have been talking their own book, but their analysis suggested that in China, the expected movement of people from the countryside to cities over the next 15 years is equivalent to the combined existing populations of Russia and Germany. That is a huge injection of demand for building and services and potential to increase middle-class urbanisation. I think both China and indeed India in very different ways still have a large degree of political risk. And actually, talking of India, um, that is one which you've um, increased exposure to, haven't you, Christopher? And in fact, by selling up in the minimum volatility emerging markets ETF that you were holding, um, can you talk us through that decision? Well, the the minimum volatility holding was bought because at the time, emerging markets covers a, a multitude of sins. And whilst I hadn't really foreseen quite such a turmoil in China, I was pretty concerned about the Latin American region still. And indeed, you know, one or two of the Asian um, sort of emerging regions too. So the minimum volatility was there to um, be a less, um, well, to, to, to be a lower volatility, lower volatility way to get exposure to that region. It did its job, as as you see from the portfolio. It actually fell you know, rather less than the other investments there. So I want to switch out of it into India, and India is because Dave has already alluded to the fact that India is a very attractive region. Um, it's fascinating investment propositions, wonderful demography in terms of its workforce, rising economic growth. It's one of the few areas 
expected to have, well, it'll be the highest growth um, global region next year and the year after with rising growth, strong corporate earnings. The price earnings ratio for those that follow these things is down to around 10 again. You know, having fallen actually in, um, fallen about 10% this year, the, the, the market, so it's looking attractive. And um, the big diff question, which again, uh, David said, was political risk. And so far, the new Prime Minister, Mr. Modi, who was regarded as a bit of a wunderkind, hasn't managed to achieve what he wanted to in terms of reforms. But uh, you know, this, this investment is investing in long-term growth, reasonable valuation, with the added potential that you get some upside when reforms um, eventually do come through, if they come through. I mean, does that does that kind of shift in sentiment that you referred to then around, around Modi? Um, does that mean that now is quite a good time to be getting into India? I think so. I think India is really interesting at the moment. There was um, they they had a a, a, a sort of sharp um, <clears throat> whatever the word is reprimand from the markets because they uh, they brought in some rep- retrospective taxation on companies earlier this year that knocked the market back about ten percent. I think they've learned from that, um, and um, yeah, I think it's it's there's an interest been an interesting setback, and it's a good opportunity. Okay. Yeah, I mean, just one final thing, Kate. Mm. I mean, for Americans, India is 33 percent cheaper. The rupee has been very weak, so um, yeah, this, the, 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 over the course of the year. So I mean, there's there's a really attractive reason to expect you'll have some other buyers behind you as well. Okay. Um, now, David, in terms of other changes that you've made, um, you've added a couple, haven't you, in overseas equities? And talk us through that, because one of them is, it's like a smart beta product, is it? It's the Vanguard World High Dividend Yield. So that's a focus on companies paying out particularly high income. Yes, I mean, we started, Kate, with um, a large allocation to the uh, global uh, world value ETF, uh, which um, has, to us, very attractive value characteristics. And one of the screenings there is is based on uh, cash cash flow, operating cash flow to enterprise value. So that should screen out um, high indebted companies. Uh, but actually, this is quite a new ETF and, and relatively small size. And in retrospect, we think the exposure here was a little bit high. Because you had, but what, we, 20% in that, did you, before? We had 20% in it. But we, we wanted to maintain some exposure to uh, the kind of high-yield value stocks uh, that are in this portfolio. So we're really just diversifying a little from one ETF to another with slightly different characteristics. But if you look at the uh, performance of the world value factor uh, index, uh, admittedly the funds hasn't been running that long, but the index has, MSCI index, uh, it's basically outperformed the world index in, in nine out of the last um, 15 years. And in those five years that it hasn't outperformed, it's underperformed very slightly. And interestingly, all of those five years are in the last seven years, which Mm. suggests to me that value stocks in general may be somewhat undervalued, if one can say that. And I mean, in in a lot of ways, it's it's smart beta, which and value tilt is a kind of form of smart beta, I think we would say. Um, It's an interesting one, isn't it, when looking at core kind of holdings. And Christopher, you've just added one of the new FTSE 100 equal weight ETFs, haven't you, which is um, a way of tracking the FTSE 100, but instead of um, putting the stocks in there by market cap, you're, you're giving them an equal weight. So why why do you think that's a good one? And how do you feel about smart beta generally in a portfolio? Um, well, 
uh, smart beta generally, I think it, it can have a place. I, I like smart beta, which has a systematic approach. Um, I'm more, um, what's the word, cautious or, or skeptical about the, the type of smart beta which has a, a qualitative approach where it's, it's trying to pick um, the companies by their, by their relative merits. I mean, the point about the... If you if you think of an equal weighted as being smart beach, which I guess it is in a in a sort of low low sort of way, uh, you can demonstrate, for example, that the S and P 500, the U U.S. index, the the equal weighted version has outperformed the market capitalization weighted version for a long time. And I'm I, I guess listeners know, but um, if it's market capitalization weighted, it means the biggest companies have the biggest exposure in in the index. And it doesn't mean the best companies have the biggest exposure. So um, looking at the UK, one of the, my concerns is I don't like oil very much. I don't really think commodities are going to recover in the, in the near term. I think there's many reasons why that shouldn't be the case. So um, I didn't want to buy the, the FTSE index um, as it stands, but you know, it, is, it isn't expensive. It's not an expensive index. So by buying it equally weighted, you get literally more than 1% in each of the 100 constituents. You get a much bigger exposure to consumer-related ones where we know that um, – that nice Mr. Osborne is trying to drive the um, the economy as, as well as he can. So we, we know we're trying we will try to get um, domestic growth. We can't really predict what happens in terms of currency movements um, or in terms of quantity movements, etc. But actually, I'm also not that negative on financials and the financial weighting within either the equally weighted FTSE 100 or the actual FTSE 100 is about the same at 24%. So I just think it, it reduces my risk of being exposed to to stuff which the UK isn't really able to control, and it focuses on the, 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 the good growth we've got in the UK at the moment. Okay, that's um, interesting. I think probably time for just one more. Um, and I wanted to say, I thought it was interesting that, um, although Christopher, some of your ETFs have, have had some really dramatic falls and have fallen further than David's, in the end the overall portfolio has performed better. And I think that's probably partly down to the diversification in there and the fact that you've got a few more of these uncorrelated ETFs. Um, and in particular, there's, there's a property one um, which has performed much better than the rest of the portfolio. Um, can you tell us a bit about why you've chosen that property ETF and when you might expect that property plays to do less well? Um, and to, be, to be sort of short about it, don't, uh, we don't think that the... Um uh, the, the interest rates are likely to go up in the near term. I don't think many people do. I think the UK is going to have lower rates for longer. So that is benign for the property market. If you can't get a yield or a return on your money elsewhere, you buy things like property, which are relatively low risk. The ETF is a very liquid way of getting into property. Um, you do have to be very careful with property ETFs because they will tend to um, lead the market up and then to lead it down as well. So. You need, if you think interest rates are going to go up at the end of next year, let's say you want to be um, getting out of your um, property ETFs before that. But, um, yeah, I think that, that there's, there's more to go for in UK commercial property. The ETF has fallen back from around £7 to it was sort of 6.50 or 6.55 when we were looking at the portfolio last week. Um, I think there's a, there's a good return to go for in the, in the, in the next um, 6 to 12 months. Um, I, I'm going to chip in here because um, we're talking about diversification and um, um, I mean, both portfolios are diversified. David, you, you have taken slightly more co more concentrated um, positions, haven't you? So you've got yes. slightly fewer holdings, but this is a long term investment. So I think that's right. Um, what, as I said at the beginning, I, I approach this by um, 
thinking about what would be a low maintenance portfolio suitable for capital growth over the long term. So I was assuming that, in fact, there would be pretty few changes uh, over over the the, the years. Um, but I did also just wanted to come back on something Christopher said a little bit earlier about the FTSE 100 and and uh, his equal weight exposure. I I sort of take the opposite view that that um, you know now is the time to be going into underperforming uh, large caps. I mean I, I take the point about oil, uh, and the top five stocks in the FTSE are Shell, HSBC, BAT, Glaxo, and BP. So you have got some a large amount of oil exposure there. But um, they do look a pretty interesting contrarian and high-yielding portfolio in their own right. So um, I like the FTSE 100 in its in its sort of pure form. Okay, so you're not you're not the smart beta um, strategy there. You're the you're the market cap. Well, I'm yeah. looking for value wherever mm-hmm. I can find it, and um, it seems to me that that uh, you know that that uh, value in the UK now at the moment is really in those large cap stocks. Okay, well, it's a, it's a fascinating differentiated approach between the two portfolios there, and it's a story that we're going to be following and catching up with every few months. So, so do look out for it in, in Investors Chronicle. Moving on, in this week's Portfolio Clinic, we feature a young investor who's aiming for early retirement by using actively managed funds. He says he believes we could be heading into a period of volatility due to interest rate rises in the US and UK and also coupled with slowing Chinese growth and geopolitical issues. And in this environment, he believes that active management can pay dividends. And the experts we featured um, mostly agreed with him. I should just say Christopher's had to had to leave us now, but David's still with us in the studio. Um, David, do you have a view on on? you know, active versus passive, you know, investing for the long term. Do you think our young readers right? Well, I think um, he is, is right in, in certain senses. There, there will be areas where active management um, is, is going to be uh, helpful. And I, I'd have thought um, the most obvious area would be in the emerging market space where um, having views about which, uh, which of the strongly growing markets or potentially strong, strongly growing markets are going to perform best in terms of equity returns. Uh, but he is in the happy position of, of being young, which is nice, <laughs> yeah, and with 30, plenty of time yes, to build yeah. up a, a, a nest. So the, the strategy of, of um, regular saving into well-managed active funds generally, I think, is, is very, very sensible. We um, we actually point out in the in the in the um, in the article that you know he's got a lot of nice exposure to Asian equities and that's really what a lot of people in their thirties should be they should be looking east. You think that's that's um, yes, not ab- for all of their portfolio, but they should have a big chunk there. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think um, for for long term growth, um, we should be looking uh, at the uh, kind of markets that are going to come through. And deliver um, deliver real growth. Um, arguably, you know, one should be looking at, at some of the the frontier type markets for a very small percentage of, of this type of so, portfolio. I mean, that would be things like Africa, would it? Um, indeed, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, because you know, if you had invested in in China and India, looking back fifteen twenty years. Uh, you've had a pretty good, um, pretty good performance, um, but of course um, those were 
under-researched and under-invested markets at that point. Um, so I'm not suggesting that, that you should go sort of hell for leather for, for, for Africa and, and more obscure places, but um, they're, they're for, for regular saving, I think uh, a small proportion into, a, into a, a, one of the frontier funds would be, would be interesting. I think we've got um, BlackRock um, Frontiers Investment Trust is is one that comes up quite often as as a good option. Are you familiar with that one, David? It's not one one that I follow very closely, but um, I I think that's the the sort of area one should be looking at. Yes. Great. Okay. Now, I mean, continuing on the subject of active management, also in the magazine, we're featuring some research that shows that active management of UK equity funds may not be quite as good as investors think. Um, Leonora, you've been following this story. Can you explain a bit about the research? Um, yes, the research has been conducted by uh, wealth manager SCM Direct, and um, various research um, purports to show that the um, outperformance of funds in the Investment Association UK All Companies sector over the last five years is due to a bias to small and mid caps rather than managers stock picking uh, skills. Um, and they also say that a bias to small and mid caps is, let's say, largely uh, the reason for the outperformance of um, UK equity income funds. Um, what they're concerned about is that um, this may negatively impact the future returns of uh, many active funds in the two major sectors because um, going forward, um, there might not be you know such good performance, especially as you know mid mid caps have uh, uh, arisen a good deal. Um, they, um, I mean, the way they did it, they analysed all the funds in the sector and they looked at things like monthly data, percentages in large, mid, and small caps, um, and uh, then they looked at. Um, what the return would have been, um, you know, had the uh, exposures just performed in line with uh, the average summer-sized company in each segment. Um, what they also say as well is um, you could have probably got a similar return to the average by combining, um, let's say, 55% of your assets in a FTSE 100 tracker and 45% of FTSE 250 trackers and and also having lower costs. Now, they're saying that mm. with the benefit of, of hindsight, hindsight which they? is what one of our experts yeah. says, you know, it's, yeah, hindsight is a is a great thing. And I think he also points out that, you know, the sector average isn't, you know, what you get. This is, you know, this is an average. You don't buy the average. You buy individual funds and some individual funds perform really well. David, you've had a chance to look at this. Um, what, what's your view on on whether um, you know active managers are are truly adding value? Well, I think you can only sort of uh, play what's in front of you, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, for the UK market to get get exposure to uh, companies that are more UK oriented and have um, sensitivity to the UK economy. Uh, you basically have to look at the 250 and below to get some of your exposure. So um, I think um, you know, you know, one can't criticise managers for uh, fishing in the right pond, so to speak. Uh, but I think the interesting question, which Leonora referred to, is is from now, uh, what happens to some of these funds, and do they do they capture what arguably may be the recovery of, of large cap stocks? 
um, over the next few years. Um, the outperformance of the FTSE 250 has been extraordinary. It's up 68% over five years versus the FTSE 100 gain of only 15%. So it hasn't been hard to outperform the, the FTSE 100 or the all share, which is dominated by the 100. So you would, would you hope that um, your active manager is now uh, repositioning towards um, larger caps? You know, do you think that's a, a, having had all the good well, performance from yeah, the small? Yes, I mean, I caps? think you'd, you'd probably um, uh, want to be uh, repositioning to some extent, um, but from a from a investor's point of view. Um, you know, you may want to look at those sort of funds that already have quite a significant uh, large cap contrarian exposure. Um, I'm, uh, as people probably know, a big fan of investment trusts. And uh, there are a number of equity income funds in that sector that do have uh, quite a large exposure to the larger cap stocks. I'm thinking of things like Temple Bar Investment Trust. Okay. Well, I mean, that that that's, that looks sounds great. That's for for fund investors. That sounds good. We for the readers, um, the listeners who um, have also have like large exposure to individual stocks. They may be holding a lot of the 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 big income players anyway. So you've got to be a bit careful to watch for overlap between your own holdings and the holdings that are there within the funds, don't you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. If you if you've got a uh, big exposure already to the oil majors, to HSBC etc uh then you want to have some uh, mid-cap exposure alongside that great um now um We've been talking about um, the markets having a difficult time recently, um, and, and obviously investors won't have welcomed that very much. However, Leonora has been looking at a possible tax planning opportunity from market losses. Leonora, can you explain um, what this is? Yes, um, with markets down, um, if uh, you know your asset value, your the share of fund has fallen, and you sell it at a loss, you can offset the loss against your capital gains tax bill, um, potentially reducing your bill in the future. Um, the loss that you make can be carried forward indefinitely um, and used against the profitable sale of um, I suppose various assets. It could be shares, funds, but also property and really anything uh, liable to capital gains tax. Um, now, there are quite a few rules around that. For example, you can't buy back the same asset within 30 days. Um, but what you can do, um, you could sell it and repurchase it soon after in a in a SIP or an ISA because they don't incur tax. Um, or you could get your spouse to buy it back if, if you trust your spouse or have a spouse. Mm-hmm. So those are options. I mean, obviously, there's, there's downsides as well because um, you shouldn't just sell something just to just to get this um, tax benefit because when you if you've bought you know spent a lot on something it's it's not great to sell it at a loss but um you know if you're thinking of getting rid of it anyway there's good reasons for you to get rid of it then it might be you know a, a good idea to at least um offset some of that money you you lost the market fall um by uh you know off offsetting the uh the loss against the future profit well it, it does sound very interesting it's something that uh, i mean tax tax issues we think are are, are one thing that di 
why investors don't necessarily pay enough attention to. They're always looking at their portfolio movements, you know, sometimes on a daily daily basis. Um, and you know, it it does it does can pay obviously to um, look at some tax planning opportunities and, and make sure you take a bit of advantage of that every now and then. David, what's your thoughts? On tax. Uh, yes, I think, I mean, uh, firstly, you know, do be driven by uh, the investment um, basis for doing something. So don't just do something for, for, for tax, as, as Leonora says. Um, but I think in the recent turmoil, turmoil, market turmoil, this is a great time to be looking at um, your portfolios uh, with a cold towel and weeding out the stuff that you don't really like, um, and if if that uh, can be done in a tax advantageous way, then clearly that's a, a good good thing to do. So in that case, you'll be looking for something that you know you really just don't want to hold on to anymore, and you're, you're going to ditch yeah, completely. Yeah, you think of selling anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes, indeed. Great. Um, now, um, back, back a bit to active management, because um, I, I'm, unfortunately I was away last week when the um, Investors Chronicle's top 100 funds were, were published. Um, this is our um, full update of um, the uh, the 100 list of the, the active funds, which we think are some of the best options for um, for investors. And um, I, I, we did a review of it. We, we got 10 experts in to... Um, to help us um, look at it, um, there was a lot, actually, a lot of agreement on funds to to keep and funds to um, to sell. And um, I'm just going to draw our attention to some of the funds that got so many recommendations from the panel of experts that they really stood out in the process. So these were um, first state Asia Pacific leaders. Um, which um, actually our, our young investor who we mentioned earlier is holding in his portfolio as a way of getting exposure to the Asia growth story. Um, we also got, saw a lot of um, favour towards um, the Woodford um, Equity Income Fund, which was launched just over a year ago by star manager Neil Woodford and has performed very well and is, is, is one to, to have a look at if you haven't already. Um on investment trusts, um, Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust was the clear front runner. Um, I mean, that's that's um, that's a quite a, a concentrated portfolio. It's a global growth trust, and it looks to sort of technology as a major theme of the portfolio. David, you're nodding your head. You're obviously familiar with with that one. Do you do you, do you rate it? How's it? Yeah. I, I mean, the perform- You can't argue with the performance. It's been it's been very strong. Um, I wouldn't. Personally, I like to see it as a uh, large component of a of a portfolio. Um, it is quite uh, concentrated, as you say, and esoteric, and it's got a big technology bias. Um, so, for a value investor like me, uh, and given the fact it's trading at a, uh, or it has traded at quite a large premium to its net asset value, um, I wouldn't be liking that as a large uh, large holding. But for a for a small holding, um, yeah, definitely. So it may not be one to it may not be one to buy today, but it's one to sort of consider. Well, thanks, thanks very much, David. Now I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Um, but um, you can read more about the ETF portfolios that we mentioned that we've been talking about, and the issues relating to active funds, and also uh, about mar- using market falls to cut your tax bill in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle. And um, thank you for listening. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.